1: Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles and you're listening to the FT Startup Podcast, a 10-part guide to creating and growing a business. Today we're looking at pricing. The Brompton is a British folding bike designed by cycling enthusiast Andrew Ritchie. The business has grown into a multinational brand, with tens of thousands of bikes sold across 43 countries. Bromptons are not cheap. Even a basic model costs £900, or about $1,400. What is amazing is that Brompton has achieved this by hiking prices by over 65% in the last six years. What does all this tell us about price strategy? I travelled out on the tube to Brompton's factory, next to a scrap metal yard under the M4 motorway flyover, and spoke to finance head Lorne Varry.
2: Pricing to Brompton is key. You know, we have an annual pricing process which would kick off in about May time for the following year. So it is a six month cycle of actually pinning down prices. We do withhold the ability within our distributor base that we may put in a mid year price rise if exchange rates move by plus or minus five percent. You don't want to do that. It's a real last resort and the reason why it's a last resort the admin involved in actually amending that with all the systems, price lists, brochures, etc. is quite sort of problematic. But for us um, our pricing strategy is very clear. We want to make our bike as affordable as possible. Yeah, there is a perception due to our price point that Brompton is a premium price product. My personal view is premium price products, you, you can break that into two. Those companies that artificially put a premium on their price just so they can be niche, see uh, a perception. Or you have a company, like in our case Brompton, where the cost is justified due to the quality involved because you know, all of our bikes are handmade. They're made in London. There's a high element of labor that goes into those bikes. Yeah, I think within the cost to manufacture a bicycle for, for us, it's over 25% of that is labor, paying London wages highly skilled staff, you know, it's very important that, you know, we're paying a very good wage rate for, and in return we expect
1: quality And rate. the bike market is a competitive market. It feels like you're able to maintain price levels. How is that done? We don't go
2: down the route of um, discounting our bikes. We, we think that's quite damaging for the brand itself. And also you get people then who will hold on and think, well, when's the sale coming up and whatever. It gives more confidence in our dealer and distributor network that you know, it's not an avenue that we want to actually encourage.
1: Is that an easy thing to do with
2: dealers? Within the UK, it's, it's quite simple. You know, we, we publish our price list, it's very simple to be able to maintain. The problem we face is more global. It's being able to, you know, cross-border selling is an issue sort of for us and being able to set prices in overseas territories. So we are we've been developing an online ordering system, an online online configurator, and we will be publishing prices on the web. So if, if a local distributor did decide to actually inflate prices, it'd be very clear what the Brompton recommended price is. Within the UK alone we have the larger motorbook multiple, multiples, you're looking at Action Bikes, Evans. And they pay the same price as the little old lady in Newcastle who's got one store. That's very important to us because those smaller independent bike stores, this level of service they can give with maintaining a bike is very important. Yes. So it's it's one standard pricing model that we have.
1: I suppose the thing is for a lot of people, they look at price and they obviously in the sense you want to get the best value Mm. out of it. But a price for a product can do so much more when it is at a certain Mm. level, and we've seen this in the bike industry in general, I suppose, that you've seen quality brands come through that charge a lot more than people used to pay for bikes. With regard to, you touched on enhancing brand,
2: and for us, brands, much to my marketing director dismay, I hold no value associated against the brand, and I think you'd be ill-advised to be chasing your brand around a brand enhancement. We focus on quality. It's purely about innovation, quality, rider experience. If you get that right, the brand takes care of itself. So branding and pricing, yes, it's done. Without a shadow of a doubt, there are companies who will perceive that their brand will be an enhanced sort of a entity with the fact that they've got a 20% premium over their nearest competitor. That's not how we look upon it. Brand informs no part of our pricing
1: process sort of whatsoever. The price of Brompton's... Has gone up in the last sort of eight or so years for the M3L. Yeah. You had a, a it's a sort of sixty percent increase over sort of eight years. Mm. That's quite an achievement that you're able to do that mm. while still selling bikes. Yes, if you look over a longer period, the cost of our basic models, or the M3Ls, the more um,
2: mass market, well, not quite mass market, but the, yeah, not niche premium end, they have seen significant price rises, but you have to take it back in 2005 that's when i would say we had stable margins it was all going great and then between 2005 to 2010 our margins were declining 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 and um, why was that twofold increased costs but you could split that into two better performance on the bike cost money We have new features actually on the bike it's cost right. some money supplier cost increases have been approximately 5% year on year but around that period, we were putting in 2% price increases because we didn't have confidence to be able to actually put in what we thought the price increase should be. Yeah. So between 2005 and 2010, our gross margin dropped by 10%. Yeah, you know, it was really concerning. I joined the company in 2009, so the first year was just untangling all of these figures and gross margin issues. So we then had a period of 2010 to 2013 where price rises were more significant At margin levels the way they were, we had to recover. So between 2010 to 2013, we put in annual price rises that we had to put in. Whilst at the same token, particularly in the latter years of that period, we were working on efficiencies internally. Now those efficiencies have now come to fruition. And what that's meant is... 2014 price rise was 2.6% when inflation was running at 2.8%. Yeah. The 2015 model, the price rise on an M3L is 0.5% and we set that when inflation was running at 1.8%. Do we feel a price rise from one year to the next of 5% would affect our forward order book? No. But when you're doing it three years in a row, then that's when it starts to impact your forward order book.
1: And what effect did it have over that period? Because
2: these were tough years Th- for the economy in general. Exactly. But actually, as much as they were tough years for the economy in general, a lot of people were ditching their second car and reverted to cycling. Right. So we actually didn't notice much of a downturn. We were actually quite buoyant through that period. But what was clear to us is it was not sustainable. We do not want to have a niche product. It's, Brompton's all about being available to all, and we needed to work harder internally on getting you know, costs under control.
1: For a different perspective on pricing, I went to see Gerard Burke, a visiting fellow at Cass Business School in London, who is a firm believer in the use of pricing as a marketing tool.
0: Pricing is arguably the most powerful financial weapon in any business's arsenal. And interestingly, it's one of the few financial levers over which you have complete control. You can set your price. When setting the price, i suggest that there are three main considerations. Firstly, what are your competition charging? And where are you positioning your products and services relative to the competition? It's no good promoting your products and services, something that is at the top end of the market and then charging a rock bottom price. That'll only confuse your customers. Second consideration is what does it cost you to produce, market, sell, deliver? the product and service and how much do you need to add on top of that in order to achieve a decent margin. Gross margins less than about 40% are very difficult to sustain unless you've got really large volumes producing Mm. economies of scale. Most importantly of all though is that you need to be absolutely clear about the distinctive benefits that your product or service delivers to your customers. Being distinctive doesn't necessarily mean being unique it's not that you've got to have a unique piece of technology or something to be distinctive. Being distinctive can mean things like having expertise in a specialist area, being more responsive, more flexible, offering a 24-hour turnaround where your competitors don't, or even just being more friendly more approachable or even more local. Whatever it is that makes your product and service distinctive, the acid test is whether your customers are prepared to pay for that distinctiveness. If they are, then it's a benefit to them and they value it. Now, if you're not sure, the easy thing to do is to go and ask your existing customers. So identify your top customers, go and have a chat with them, ask them about why they buy from you rather than from your competitors. And very often when people that we've worked with do that, they come up with some quite surprising answers, which then can influence a lot of things about the way they market, promote and sell their products and services.
1: You have talked about this idea of raising prices in tough times. Why would that be a smart move?
0: Well, the key thing about price, and therefore price changes, is that they work on profits, on margins. So if you increase your prices, what you're actually doing is increasing your gross profit margin, the difference between what you sell out and what it costs you to deliver it. And if your overheads remain the same when you've increased your prices, then that price increase actually drops straight down to the bottom line and you make more money overall. So if you can sustain a price increase, it's going to affect your profit directly. And that's clearly a great thing to be able to do at any time, and especially during tough times.
1: But doesn't that mean that you're going to lose customers?
0: It comes back to this key point about distinctiveness. If your customers truly value those distinctive benefits that your product or service delivers to them, then they will be prepared to pay for it. Of course, if you raise your prices, you may lose some customers. Now, those customers, what they're actually saying by saying we're not prepared to pay the, the increased price is they're actually saying they don't really value those distinctive benefits that your product or service brings as much as you thought they did. So, in fact, those customers who leave you when you increase your prices may well be the ones that are actually costing you more money to service because they're actually looking for a different set of things than the things that you're actually providing. So, there's a sense of price can actually sort the wheat from the chaff. Indeed, yeah. And actually, reducing volume can actually be a good thing because the less volume you have means that the business will be less complex, easier to manage... And you should actually be able to cut some other costs, which therefore increase your margins again even more. And it's actually quite surprising because prices work on profits and margins. Most businesses could increase prices and afford to lose quite a lot of their existing sales and yet still make the same amount of profit. Of course, there's always going to be a limit. Yeah? And the, the key thing again comes back to this distinctiveness. Where that limit comes is open to experimentation, really. You just have to kind of see how far you can push it before they start objecting. And you can only really do it if you do have that distinctiveness. If you haven't got anything that's distinctive about what you do, then your product or service is going to be commoditized and you're going to end up competing on price. Mm. And that's a very difficult place to be unless you're very big and have large volumes. There is an argument in certain circumstances, but they're quite small, where you might argue for a loss leader type Mm. approach to pricing. So you cut the price on certain selected products and services in order to attract the customers in to buy other things from you. Right. Now, it's a slightly risky thing to do because it sets an expectation about where prices are going to be. And it only really works if your customers do also buy other things from you on which you can sustain a good price and a good margin.
1: Gerard, thank you very much. And for a final tip from Lorna Verri.
2: I think if you're looking at a price rise, it starts by market research, doing your homework on, look at competitors, what competitors are doing, look at commodity prices if that's relevant. Then once you decide you are going to put a price rise in, Communication is key. You want the communication to come from you. If there's a price rise going in, give notice. You know, we publish our new prices around about the end of August for the following year, so we give a quarter's notice, and we'll always have some, you know, a document around it to explain why. It's about integrity of a Brompton. You know, if we are going to put the price of a Brompton up by £10, it's usually because there's some great new features on it. That will have an impact on the cost of the bike, but there's a justification for it.
1: Next week, we'll be moving on to a very difficult challenge that many businesses have to face, that of failure. In the meantime, don't forget, if you have any questions for me or any of the experts I've spoken to, email me at jonathan.moles at ft.com and we'll attempt to answer some of these at the end of the series.